Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. Amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And we've been in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read a few verses here. It will just launch me into a few things that I want to share with you. And so we've been talking about restoring discipleship, and I titled it that way very specifically because I believe discipleship has been broken or lost or mangled or messed up, and it needs to be restored. And so we, we've been talking about, and I've been talking about, the idea that humility really is the nature of a disciple, and you're going to see that with some of the things that I'm going to talk about here today that disciples are supposed to walk in humility all the time. And it really, is, it really is a description or an understanding of somebody that is really walking with the Lord and is a disciple as you find somebody that's humble. And humility, in a nutshell, it's, it's not being down here, and it certainly isn't being way up here, but it's just being confident with who you are in Christ, what God's called you to, and just just being leveled off in your life, if that makes sense. Not going up and down, but just being a level per, a person and, and having a confidence with who the Lord has said that you are, but also not thinking too highly of yourself because we know that we don't have anything great outside of him, amen? And so we talked about um, last week, I just uh, went a little bit on a tangent that was on my heart, but was necessary. And that I just talked about how something has to change. Something has to change in our culture, in our church culture, if we're going to reach people and we're not going to lose what we have. And I believe the thing that has to change is discipleship has to be restored back to the church. And before that, I talked about, I started talking about characteristics of a disciple. And one of those characteristics of disciples is is that they live a repented lifestyle. And you can see the nature of humility totally in a repented lifestyle. And so everything that we do, every day that we walk, we should walk humbly before the Lord and realize that we miss it, that we blow it, that we make mistakes. And if we ever come to a place to where we don't walk in repentance, that's a scary place to be. So a characteristic of a disciple is one who walks in repentance. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about another characteristic here in a moment, but I want to read just a few verses here so we can see some things in context. Acts chapter 2, and verse, we're just going to start in verse 40, and I'm going to read through 47, the end of the chapter. Acts 2 and 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Oh, man, I'm going to try not to preach, but i got to say this. He's saying here to be, so these people are just, he just told them what they needed to do, which was repent and, and be converted and be baptized for the remission of sin. And then he says, and be saved from this perverse generation. What we see happening right now in the church is that people are being saved, but they're not being saved from the perverse generation. And so we have a large percentage of the church that doesn't understand the importance of coming out from the world in coming into relationship with Jesus and only following him, only walking in his ways. That's not legalism. That's just Christianity. That's just discipleship. Because when you're being discipled, it means that you stop following, you stop learning from the world, and then you start learning and you start following Christ. That's what that means. So this is really simple, but we, we see this. in Isaiah prophesied, and he said, there's going to come a time when they, where they will call good evil and evil good. There are so, there's a, a, a huge section of the church 
that these issues that they're calling social issues, listen, don't buy into the lingo of the media. They're not social issues. They're righteousness issues. When you're talking about who, I know I shouldn't have stopped and started preaching. <laughs> when, you're, when you're talking about the issue of homosexuality, you're talking about the issues of, a, of abortion, and just a whole, those are a couple of the, the top ones and, not, and the hot buttons, but you're talking about those things. Even, even welfare. I mean, that's a righteousness issue. The Apostle Paul said in, uh, I think it's First Thessalonians 3, he said that this we commanded you when we were with you, that if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And now we've got this whole mentality of even in the church of people saying, oh, well, we need, the government needs to step in. And, you know, whenever <laughs> people are always going to have a God in their life. And most people, even born-again Christians, have made the government their God instead of having God their God. Because if God was really their God and they were listening, he would say... Now, I know that there are some people that they, they genuinely cannot work because they have a disability or something. I believe wholeheartedly that society should take care of those people. Do not misunderstand me. I'm full of compassion and mercy, but I'm not full of compassion and mercy for the guy sitting on his keister collecting a check from the government... When the Lord, if the Lord was really his God, he would hear the Lord say, get off your keister and go work your job and take care of your family. Get next to me. But these are not social issues. They're righteousness issues because they're Bible issues. They're things that God calls issues. And we need to have God's worldview on these things and not the world's worldview on these things. So we have... The church has gravitated, has been sucked into the spirit of the world, has been brought into the church, and the church has been sucked right into the spirit of the world, where we call good evil and evil good. We have, Christ, we have Christian ministers all over the place telling their congregations that we need to tolerate homosexuality and that we, we just... We just have to, you know, we just have to love them and just, you know, and they skate around the whole issue. And yes, we need to love them. They need Jesus just like anybody else, but they also need to know that it's not right. And really my concern isn't that the world sees that it's not right, but it's that the church sees that it's not right. Because as soon as we stop painting the line clearly from the scriptures, then we move over into things that are not good. So it's not legalism, it's not being harsh, it's not being judgmental. And the church is in so much fear about this. They're afraid of people saying, well, you're being judgmental and you're being just so harsh to say that homosexuality is a sin. I used to kind of, kind of think that way, like, well, I don't really want to offend anybody. Now it's like, I don't really care if you're offended or not. I have a responsibility as a minister of the gospel, specifically a pastor, to say, look, no matter what you believe, God loves you, but here is what's right on this side, and on this side is not right. There are clear lines in Scripture. And so if we don't, as a church, grab a hold of these things from the Word, we're going to get sucked into the perverse generation and not be saved from it. Amen? So anyways, he says, be saved from this perverse generation. And I could go on with that for longer than what you all want to hear it. So we're just going to continue down this road. Everybody say, I love, I love Pastor Kent, Pastor and I'm not offended. And I know he doesn't really care, even if I am offended. 
praise God for a preacher who doesn't care about that stuff. All right, here we go. Verse 41. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity, or the regular King James says, with singleness, of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Amen. Amen. There is so much in this passage of scripture right here that we just don't we just don't have enough time in the hour to be able to talk about all these things. But think about think about the culture that was here. And I heard Francis Chan say something recently that was really it was really profound. And he said that people They'll read scripture verses like, and actually he was talking about these verses in particular, but in general, people will read scripture verses and they'll say, oh, that was cultural. And that's not what we, what we do today. You need to understand something. What was happening here, this wasn't part of their natural culture, but this was part of the new kingdom culture that they were developing right there. So when you say it was cultural, yeah, it was in the New Testament church culture, but it was not in the culture before then to where they, had their, they took their goods and they, and they sold things and they, they distributed them amongst each other as they had need. What does that look like for us today? It's a hypothetical question. Don't answer it. Because if you give the wrong answer, I'm not sure that I have the right answer to rebuttal it with. I'm just asking myself and asking us, what does that look like? I mean, that is very far removed from our thinking. We say we want the miracles. We say we want revival. We say we want the power of God. We say we, we even want unity. But do we have the mind and the heart in us like they had back then? I have to be honest with you. I can't say that I'm there yet. I'm working my way there at a very rapid pace. And I think that most people, they might say, oh, I'd, I'd lay down my life for you. But they wouldn't really, really help somebody if they were in need. See, where the rubber meets the road sometimes is what we're willing to give up daily, not in theory. Everybody's a martyr at heart. I would die for you, Jesus. This is just goes back to the story of Peter. He told, Peter said, Lord, I laid down my life for you. Jesus said, oh, really, would you? He said, you're going to deny me three times before the, the rooster grows. And what happened? Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus came back later and said, Peter, do you, do you agape me? Peter got wise, and he said, I don't, he didn't say, I don't agape you, but he said, you know I phileo you, Lord. See, when we just read it in the English, it looks like he says, I know, when Jesus says, do you love me? And then Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. And if you, you look at it in the original language, 
Jesus was saying, do you love me completely without any condition at all? And because Peter had already been called out on his, where his heart was really at, he said, Lord, you know I love you with a, with a good brotherly love, but I wouldn't really necessarily lay down my life for you. That's basically how he responded. And the Lord asked him that three times, and I believe he was testing Peter, and Peter was honest three times, and the last time he said, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I love you only to that level because that's where I'm at. It is an attitude of humility to ask, where am I at at the moment? That's a good, if you could come to that place to where you could say, Lord, where am I, where am I really at at this thing? And I mean, really ask him. Not ask him with the, with the answer already coming from you, right? Lord, would I lay down my life for you if, if they came in here and said, deny Jesus or I'll kill you? Oh, I know I would. I think, I think we're like Peter to where we say that, but if we were really tested, we would be found out that we maybe care more about ourselves than we do the Lord. And I think that we care more about ourselves than we do other people. We are wired, and there's a reason why I'm saying this, we are wired out of the womb, not by God, but because we're born into sin, we're wired out of the womb to only care about self. As soon as we come out, we cry, we scream, and for however long, and we've got a three-year-old, and I think we're still there, but, but we are, and mess, we mess our pants, feed me, feed me, feed me, and the youngest one, when he gets up, I mean, sometimes it'll be so sweet and do sweet things, but most of the time it's like, I'm hungry. Where's my whatever toy that he had the night before that he couldn't remember where he placed it? I mean, it's totally, it's totally selfish. And unfortunately, because many people don't grow up in homes where they're taught you're selfish and you need to stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about other people, what happens with so many people is they come into the kingdom of God, they get born again, but they never get discipled. And so what happens is that we have people that are Christians that believe in Jesus, they, they love Jesus, they think they do, but when it comes down to, down to, to really the idea of denying self and laying down their life for the Lord and for their brothers and sisters, they're just not there yet. And so we've gone into this super hyper mode of spirituality in the church but have lost some of the most basic things. And really the message of the kingdom, you need to understand this, the message of forgiveness is in the kingdom, but the message of forgiveness is not the kingdom. Because see, if we only take the message of forgiveness and say, God has forgiven me, which is true, and we only run around being focused on that, and we don't understand the other parts of the kingdom, then what happens is that the forgiveness becomes an excuse for us to live an unhealthy lifestyle. Instead of understanding the grace that's been given to us to empower us to live a victorious life in him. But Jesus said that you cannot find your life unless you lose it first. I propose to you that what has happened in the church for a long time is that we have made converts, but we really have not made disciples.
we've made people understand if you don't receive Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And they say, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to hell. Jesus, forgive me. They get saved. But then what happens, and I like how, what Todd White said, one of the greatest statements I've ever heard. He said, one of the biggest travesties in the church and in the world is when people give their heart to the Lord, but they don't give their life to him. See, discipleship comes back to this laying down of self 100% to where it's not about our motives. It's not about our ministry. It's not about getting our needs met. And Liz and I were talking about this this morning. I believe in prosperity uh, wholeheartedly. I could, I, could, I could preach for a year just on the fact that God wants us to prosper. I can prove it to you in the word over and over and over and over and over. But what's happened is that usually when the pendulum swings, it just like really swings. And so there was a time when the body of Christ needed to understand things about prosperity. I, I believe that. But then it's almost like we've moved into this, the church as a whole, into this whole thing of the kingdom of God is about getting our needs met and our wants met. No, not really. It's really kind of a fruit of just having a relationship with Jesus. He wants to have your needs met. Man, I got, man, I got a certain car, truck. When I see it, I have to say, Jesus, help me not to lust. I mean, I've got things that I, that I really want to have, but whether I have that or not, or we live in the house or we go to the places. I mean, Liz and I have got vacations planned, a lot of them planned, more than we have money for. Well, more me than her, but, but that's not the essence of what a relationship with Jesus is about, to, to prosper so much that you have those things. You understand the balance here? God's not against you having those things. I go on vacations. We're taking, we got three trips planned this summer. It's awesome. I can't wait. You know, the Lord, I, I, had, to, I had to justify this in my heart, and the Lord helped me justify it. And he said, Perryville is your mission field, and missionaries need to have bereavement from the mission field they're on. Everywhere we go, it, do, it doesn't leave us. You guys won't leave us alone. No, I'm just kidding. It's just, but this is just where we're at. You understand what I'm saying? So we can have those things. God wants us to have those things. It's no problem. But that is not the focus of what Christianity is about. See, the, the message of forgiveness is all about, I got my need met, which was a genuine need that needed to be met and probably the most basic need that needs to be met. You need to have your sins forgiven, right? But if you only stop there, you miss out on the grace of God to empower you to, to walk and to live in victory in every single area. Amen. And so then we've had these, these teachings come in and they're right. But you can take anything and get off into a ditch with it. I mean, anything you can take that's a spiritual truth and get off in a ditch. And if you find yourself pitting one spiritual truth against another, you probably have gotten, gotten off into a ditch. Because I found myself for years because God was teaching me about grace and faith and about who I was in Christ. And I was so strong in that, and I am still strong in that. I, be, I believe in grace, God's part, faith, our part, cooperating with God's grace. But I was, so, I was so strong in that, that anything else that would come that was an apparent contradiction, I would throw everything out, and I would pit my spiritual truth against that spiritual truth. And I only understood parts of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? 
So when God shows you something, take everything you can, but understand there's all, there's all kinds of things in, in the kingdom of God that we need to grab a hold of. The kingdom is a, is a really big message. It's a really big thing. It's not just one thing singular. Amen. Hallelujah. So I want to come back and I want to hit these and I really don't have time, but I'm going to do it anyways because next week, oh man, next week I got this message that will blow your socks off, but I'm going to blow your socks off for the next 10 minutes here. In verse 42, and this is a characteristic of a disciple. It says, and they continued steadfastly. So this is the second characteristic. And I know I've jumped around a little bit in my teaching how I've done this, but I'm just laying it out as the Lord is telling me to. The first characteristic I talked about of a disciple is they live a repented lifestyle. This is characteristic number two, is that they continue steadfastly. The very first convert that I, well, the second convert, the first convert I got was my younger brother. I gave my heart to the Lord. The steps of our basement, I was seven. He asked me what I was doing. I told him, and he gave his heart to the Lord. So I was an evangelist the moment I got saved. But then later on, when I was in high school, my, my best friend, um, we were in going to Walmart, and I don't remember all of the conversation that led up to it, but we were in Walmart, and I begin, or in the parking lot, and I begin to tell him about the, the Lord and relationship with the Lord. And, and he already knew because we were good friends. And then, but something hit him. He was like, man, I, I need that. I said, man, let's just pray right now. He's like, now? I said, yeah, absolutely. And man, we were sitting in the car and tears were flowing. The power of God was there. And do you know from that time, for the rest of our friendship, I could never teach him anything. I grew up in a, in a home that had, was pretty rich as far as the things have gone. I could never teach that guy anything, nothing. Now, if I knew what I knew now, I would tell him, you're full of pride, you're hard-headed, you think you know everything, and you don't know nothing. That's probably what I'd tell him now. I just, I just cut straight to the chase now, anyways. But he, he is so far off track and I won't even get into that, but he wouldn't let me teach him anything. He wouldn't let anybody teach him anything. He had a pride that ran through him, which pretty much every human being has some form of pride that runs through him that we'd have to contend with it. But this very first thing, it says, first of all, that they continued steadfastly. And if you want to know what that phrase means in the Greek, it means that they continued steadfastly. Like they moved forward and they didn't relent in it. So this is, this is an, an immediate characteristic that we see of these people that they weren't just born again, but they were born again with the understanding of your old life. See, this is what baptism was all about. We don't understand this today about baptism. People think that it's just some spiritual thing you do to have some kind of connection with God and it's like you should do it. But back then it was like, okay, I'm no longer identifying with the old man and who I was, but I'm going to go in the waters of baptism because baptism was, was cultural. There were baptisms happening even before they were baptizing people in the name of Jesus. So it was an identity thing that now I'm, I'm risen, and it, it was also public. I want everyone to know that I'm going this direction in my life. And honestly, it held people accountable on some level. Now, which this is just a part of our, our, our Christian church and we dunk people and it is right, it's right to baptize them, but the heart behind it has been lost. And what has been lost is that we're supposed to continue steadfastly in the things of God. And in specific, here's four things. The apostles' doctrine, 
fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And the first guy that I was just talking about that, that, that I led to the Lord, he became prideful, so he didn't continue steadfastly with what I knew, with what I could have taught him at that moment, which wasn't a whole lot more than what he knew, but it was something, right? He didn't continue, and I didn't know enough to tell him that this isn't about just getting to heaven. This is about laying your life down to the Lord. This is about not going your way, but going the way of the Lord. And so the way we do that is that we continue. So this is us as disciples of the Lord Jesus. If we really truly are a real disciple, these are things that we'll do. And you say, are these the only four things? No, but these are four things. We, number one, we'll continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And I wondered for a while, why does it say apostles' doctrine? Why doesn't it say Christ's doctrine there? I mean, isn't Jesus really the one that we're following? And the answer is yes. Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. So yes, Jesus is the one that we're ultimately following, and he really is the one that is discipling us. But you need to understand something. There is not almost no revelation that comes to us that doesn't first get introduced to us from somebody else. You think about all the things that you know concerning the things of God right now. And there's not anything that you know, hardly. Now, maybe God's given you revelation here and there, and, and it should be that way because you have your own relationship with the Lord. But most of the major concepts that we get, get passed down from our mothers and fathers over us, that they help us understand those things. And so you know what's happened? Oh, in the church, this is an epidemic, is people are leaving the church and there's so much rebellion and it's like, well, I don't really need to hear what he's got to say. I mean, we see that. I mean, I've met so many people that are like, I'm starting a home church. You know, most every home church, and I'm not against home churches. I'm not against churches in a building. I believe that they're supposed to be there. If you go back and look at what we just read, they met in house to house and they met in the synagogues. There's, there's a dynamic there for both. And as a matter of fact, the apostles teaching or doctrine, that's this right here. You're not going to get from me just one-on-one -on -one because I don't have the time and we don't have enough time in the day to, for me to be able to give this to you. Us meeting here, individually anyways, us meeting here together, you get that. And also just the corporate anointing that's here in worship. You, you, I mean, you can't get that anywhere else. So there's a, there's a right meeting here and there's a, it's right to meet and have fellowship around the dinner table and meet in homes. And that's why we have grace groups. And so all of that's important. But I've, I've seen so many people and it's like, they say, well, God's told me to start a church or he's told me. To, and they may not say it like that, but you can hear it coming from them that that's what they're doing. We're going we're gonna to meet in the home like the real church. Well, I don't know what you're talking about because they met in the synagogue and they met in the homes. Why are you starting what you're start, starting? Are you full of rebellion? And for a lot of people, most people, they start it, and that's how it gets started. That's their heart motive behind it. And you know what they stop doing is they stop following the apostles' doctrine. And you say, what does that look like in our day? This, people that will sit, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a little bit more to it, but people that will sit and hear the word with a readiness of heart, receive it, and apply it to their life. I don't have time to go and look at this, but I'm just I'm going to quote this really quick. In Acts chapter 17, there was something that took place. Paul was in Thessalonica, and he was stirring things up as he usually did. They were going to kill him. The disciples sent him away by night. He got found in a town called Berea, or Berea, I don't know how you say it, but he got found in that town. And it says that the ones in Berea were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word from Paul with a readiness of heart which means they were like, all right, give it to me, Apostle Paul. 
or Paul the apostle. They received it with the readiness of heart, but then it says they checked the scriptures to find out whether these things be true for themselves. You say, so how, what's my posture supposed to be from receiving from people? Just that. When you listen to me preach, when you listen to Bill Johnson on a podcast or whoever it is you like to listen to, you should sit and listen and say, God, pour into me through this man. And then after it's all done, you have your notes, you have the Bible verses, and you go back and you say, all right, Lord, show this to be true in my own life and how to apply it. That's how we're supposed to posture ourselves all the time. If you don't, you could listen to somebody and you end up way off in the left field because they're way off in the left field. You're not supposed to take everything hook, line, and sinker. But you're also not supposed to sit there in rebellion and think that you know more than somebody else. I had um, a, a guy named uh, Bob Yandy, and I was listening to him. And he had this guy that came up to him in his church, big church, <laughs> about 3,000 people. And he came up and he said, um, he said, I'm supposed to be pastor in this church and not you, Pastor Bob. And Pastor Bob said, really? Why, why, why would you say that? And he said, because I know more of the word than you. I can preach and I can teach better than you. And he listed off a whole bunch of stuff. And Pastor Bob was listening. He said, you know what? He said, you're, really, you're probably right about all that. You probably can teach better than me, which isn't true. Pastor Bob's an amazing teacher. He's unreal. But he was just being humble and obliging the guy. He said, you know, you're probably right about all that, all that stuff. But he said, there's one thing that you're not right about. And he said, what's that? He said, God called me to pastor this church and not you. It has nothing to do with my knowledge, but my calling and me being placed here. So when you see the hand of God on a, on a minister, the anointing that's there to lead, you draw from that. Amen. Yes. But let me tell you what goes along with this. It's separate, but goes along with it. The second thing is they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So let me go back and hit something with the doctrine part real quick. This is where humility comes in. See, remember, humility flows in every area of a disciple because it is the nature of a disciple to be a humble person. Yes. The very beginning of when you start your life with Christ is, I can't do it. You've got it. Here's my life, right? That's full-blown humility, and we're supposed to carry that. Well, when you continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, what you're saying is, I don't know everything, and I need to continue learning from you. Amen. Oh, I didn't get done talking about the apostles' doctrine. I have to say this about it too. There is a unity aspect there that's very important. Because see, you could go, when it comes to, the, to your tribe of people that God's called you to, it's right to continue in covenant relationship in what's being laid out with that body and not go from this place over here and say, well, he says it like this over here, you should be preaching this, or you should be doing that, or I don't like how you say this. Look, when it comes to the, the apostle, the minister, the pastor, the people that God's called you to that are over you in your life, it's right to come underneath of their teaching. If it's biblically sound anyways, it's right to come under their teaching for the sake of unity. You understand what I'm saying? I've had so many people that it was like their attitude, and before I you know, now I'm just like, well, you know, whatever, believe what you want to believe. And I don't get, make a big deal about it. But it used to be like, oh God, am I preaching something wrong? It's like, no, you're different here than what Pastor Joe is over at this place over here. So there's something unique that God will do in a particular body. There's different strokes for different folks. He's called different pastors, different ministers, different apostles, different prophets, all the fivefold. He's called them to do different things. 
Because universally, the church is comprised of different parts, just like locally, the church is comprised of different parts. So when it comes to being a part of a body, it's right to sit underneath of that and just partake of it. Again, not hook, line, and sinker, but have a covenant agreement that when I say something, you don't go, well, you know, I just really, I don't, you know what, maybe I don't have the revelation that you have in that area. Maybe I don't understand everything as perfect as you do in that area. You, you see what I'm saying? There's a unity aspect, and that's why it says apostles' doctrine and not Christ's doctrine. Yes, Jesus. Because every minister, every leader of every local church is going to have a different flavor to them than the next. There's nothing wrong with that. That's called being humans, right? Yeah. So there's something about being, when God's called you somewhere, you don't have to believe everything that I say, but you should walk in covenant with me. That's a part of what that looks like. But Paul told Timothy, he said, look, over in, and let me read this because I got it bookmarked. In 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, I'm going to read this real quick. He told Timothy, he said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Con convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But he said, he told them to convince, rebuke, rebuke exhort with all longsuffering and teaching teaching or doctrine, it's a line upon line upon line upon line teaching. You know, everybody loves when you come in and you've got this, this message to where it's just like, you know, it's exciting and it's powerful. And we need to do that sometimes. Sometimes it's good to just come in and just encourage and pump up and exhort and quicken faith. But then a lot of times in this, it didn't say continue steadfastly in the, in the, the apostles' preaching or in the apostles' excitement is said in the apostles' doctrine. Literally means line upon line upon line, precept upon precept upon precept, because that is how we learn and grow. When our understanding grows, we grow. You don't grow spiritually. You don't grow in your faith without first having revelation of it, and you don't get revelation, true revelation, unless it comes from the word, and you don't get the word given to you unless it's line upon line, precept upon precept. It's right to continue listening and hearing from people that can invest the word into your life, that can minister the word, that can minister truth to you. Does that make sense? So also what goes along with this is that there's, there's a fellowship. Do you know that this is not the only place where people can speak into your life? And this is, this is where I have found where a tremendous amount of pride comes in and where humility gets lost because people think that they're, that they're humble because they'll go and sit in a service Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. Amen, Pastor. That's mm, that's good. Mm, good word. He was right on today. Woo! And then they walk out, and then Sister Susie Q says, "You know, brother, whatever your name is, I, I, Susie Q's easy. I don't know, ever know what the brother's name is, but uh, I need to tell you something." And, and they have fellow. So you can't go and bring correction or instruction to people you don't have a relationship with. This is where the fellowship part comes in. There is a, there is a, there's a brotherhood, a unity there. But when you have that, and this is why it's so important that you develop relationships with people is because they have things for you and you have things for them. And so this is where I found that where I find whether people are really humble or not is when I'm in fellowship with them, 
and I'm in relationship with them and we spend time together. And then I go to them and I say, you know, I just want to, I want to point something out that I think is, is causing some harm or something you're not seeing that I, I really want to bring to your attention. And their relationship's there, but all of a sudden a wall goes up. You know what that is? That's not continuing steadfastly. It says, notice, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. It's, a, it's, a con, it's two separate things, but it's a conjunction there. For fellowship to be there and to be con, conducive and bring growth, there has to be humility that one person can say to the other one, this is something that's going to hurt you. This is something that you need to look for down the road or whatever the situation is. I don't know what it is just in human beings, but every human being wants to believe that they've got an area of life that they just really got by the tail. You don't believe me, just listen to people talk. I see, I listen a lot. I listen, I talk a lot, but I also listen a lot. And I'll listen to people and it's like, they'll go on and on and on about the things that they know and that they've, they can do and all, and the, because there's so much identity wrapped up in it. If our identity is in Christ and it really is in Christ, we can humbly stand before people and if they've got something that we don't, we say, oh, praise God, thank you, brother, thank you, sister, for revealing that to me. I see where that could have caused me problems down the road or it's been causing me problems and I'm gonna receive the correction, no problem. We should be able to do that, certainly with your, your pastor, somebody that's over you. Because again, it's one thing to amen in a service. It's another thing to amen when they're, you're getting called out right in the midst of it. Because when, it, when it's in, in, I mean, in person, because when it's in a service, you can, oh, amen, amen. In the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, man, oh, I wish my brother was here. He could hear this, and he really needs to hear this. Ooh, I wish my wife was here today. She missed today. She's home with the kids. Blah, blah, blah. But sometimes we forget we need that for our own selves. And would we be willing for someone in fellowship to come and say, look, you're wrong in this area? Because Paul told Timothy, he said, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. You know that you don't rebuke people openly. If you do, you're probably not a very good pastor. I mean, I've had a couple times where I've had to say, hey, there being a problem don't mess with them. But generally speaking, 99% of the time, a rebuke, which is really a very harsh form of correction, but it is scriptural, a rebuke most of the time is not overly received by the person that's getting rebuked. But if you have relationship with the person and you know that they love you, why wouldn't you want them to rebuke you? You know what a rebuke looks like? Here's what a correction looks like first. <laughs> Standing in the street, you see a bus barreling down and they got their beats on. Is that what the ones that everybody likes, the headphones? And they can't hear and they got their back turned and they can't hear the bus coming because they got the music going in their ears. Correction is, hey, 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 you, you, you the next thing you know, they're run over. Hopefully you got out of the way before they got run over. That's what correction looks like. And there's a time and place for that. Maybe when the bus is a mile down the road. But you know what? When the bus is 100 yards away, you know what you do? You go in and you tackle them. And you scrape them up. And you roll over into the ditch. And you're all muddy. And when you get up and they see the bus pass, they go, thanks. I need stitches in my knees now, but thank you. Because that getting hit by the bus would have been a lot worse. Spiritually, it's the same thing. You have to see that. If somebody loves you and they come in and they're like, oh my God, this is a problem. Let me point this out. We should be at a point to where we can receive that rebuke. So if Paul told Timothy, he said, preach the word, 
Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. That means that people have to be convincible. They have to be rebukable. And they have to be exhortable. And exhortable is just exhortation. We have to position ourselves that way. And you say, well, who's, who's helping you? Who's ministering to you? And I know I'm not going to get through the rest of this, by the way. I'm almost done. I know we're out of time. It's 12 o'clock. It's Sunday. We have to quit by noon. We do because kids are over there. Anyways, thank you that I'm not offended by that, Lord. I'll just, I'll just cut my teaching gift off because I know that we have a time constraint and it's okay. And I can come back next week and somehow by that mercy of God, I'll get everything in because I know that the next week we've got other things going on and then the next week we're moving into something totally different. So it's okay. Thank you, Jesus. You see, I have to process these things sometimes. I have so much in me, I don't have time to give. Where was I going before that goofy interruption I just made? Yeah, be correctable, be teachable, be convincible, be all of those things, and you're going to do really, really good in life. Something like, something like that, I don't know. That's a good way to end it. When you lose your train of thought, then it's just like, well, I have nowhere to go from here, and so we just kind of have to, have to close. But this, is, this really seriously is extremely important that we come to a place to where we allow people, oh, this is what I was going to say. People say, here he goes again. He's winding back up. Look, I'm closing the notes. I've closed the Bible, and I'm stopping right there. People could say, like, you know, who's speaking into your life? So let me say this, that I have two people, three people, actually, in this church that I have given open reign that if they see anything in my life, they can speak into my life freely. So I do this with other people. And then I have Pastor Bobby. I, I know I mentioned this. I sent him a text and I told him, just as a reminder, you have my full permission and blessing to bring any form of correction or anything in my life. See, I, I do this. I live like this because I want to grow. I want to move forward. You know where a lot of people, they can't receive? The Lord showed me this, where they can't receive correction on any kind of level, whether it be a full-blown rebuke or just a soft tender, hey, watch out for that, is because many times when people think about being corrected, they were corrected wrong when they were younger or in a past church experience and they've never had it done out of love. And so there's an immediate wall go that goes up. So you need to ask yourself a question. Do I have a wall that's up from past experience that I need to bring down so that I can grow? Because if you don't have people that invest into your life personally, you, listen to me, you will not grow. You will not grow. And for all of the people that are off doing their thing and they're not tied to a body, they might pretend like they're growing, but the most miserable people that I know are disconnected, disjointed, hurt, offended, mad, whatever, and they're no longer part of a local body. And a lot of how they got that way is because they did have offense that came to them, but then they gra grabbed a hold of that offense and now they're on the outside. And then they come into a place like this. We bring correction here. I bring a lot of correction. I never thought I would do that, but I do. And it's amazing. We've cultivated an atmosphere to where people know that it's done in love. And when I see people receive the correction, they go, and it's not me going, yeah, here I am, I get to correct somebody. I hate doing it. I hate meeting with people and saying, God, this is going to kill you if you don't stop. Because I'm always thinking, what are they going to do? How are they going to receive it? Because a lot of times it doesn't go well. But overall, lately, it's been going pretty good. I'm really proud of you guys. But just continue that. And if you've not come to that place, allow people to pour into you. If you know they love you, my gosh. 
in a legitimate son or daughter. I, I know we have to quit by two, 12. We have two minutes, all right? And then you're going to have to hurry and get your kids. But I, I have to tell you this. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that if we don't receive correction, then we are an illegitimate son or daughter. Wow. So could we ever get to a place to where we don't need correction? Yeah, it's called heaven. Man, we're in the process of working this thing out. We need each other. Let's allow each other to speak and minister into our lives to help us with the things that we need help with, not only understanding the word, but knowing how to raise kids, knowing how to love our spouses, knowing how to handle our finances. Oh man, people, they'll live in poverty. They'll live paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. And they'll have people around them that have the ability to say, let me show you what you need to do that will help you. And instead of going and asking for help, they would rather have their pride keep them concealed in poverty than expose some issues, get help, and move on. On and on and on and on I could go, but man, we're here for each other. We need to receive. And if you know people love you and they have a relationship with you, just go for it, receive it. Amen? Amen. Stand, I'm gonna bless you, and then we'll go. Father, we love you, we thank you. God, thank you for the graciousness of allowing me to share all of the things that are in me to share, even though we've run out of time. God, we bless these saints. I bless these saints. I'm so thankful for them. What an awesome group of people they are. I thank you that we're world shakers. We'll just start with Perryville. We're Perryville shakers to start with. God. And I think even before that, we're going to start with our homes. We're home shakers. Before that, we're going to start with our hearts. We're heart shakers. We're going to shake up the things in our heart that don't need to be there. We're going to dump them out and we're going to put all the good God stuff in there. And we're going to be open and receptive to everything that you have through anybody that needs to give it to us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.